Hey, you guys, we're excited to announce new merch. Go to stonerchickspodcast.com and check out the merch tab to see all of these new hats and mugs that we've got. The mugs say smoke your weed on one side and have a nice little leaf design and they say Stoner Chicks Podcast on the other. And there's beanies that say SYW, you know, we know, smoke your weed. Check it out. There's all different colors. It's going to be a great time. We just wanted to get cozy with you. Some of them have pom-poms. They're going to be really cozy, very fashionable. Stoner chickspodcast.com merch Welcome to Stoner Chicks Podcast, the podcast for stoners by stoner chicks like me, Phoebe Richards. And me, Stephanie Thompson. And I, Grace Penzel. And I, Kayla Teal. Oh, you guys got to be grammatically correct and everything. No, I just didn't want to do the same thing four times in a row. I'm sorry. Okay, okay. This is (laughs) us. We're all unique and special people. Each one of us, just like each one of you listening is. We're like a little snowflake. What's everyone smoking? You know me. I'm just still smoking that grande guava, which did I mention last week is a I've discovered is a good yoga weed for me. Oh, I like this discovery. Yeah, I like I smoked it and did yoga a couple of days in a row and was like, oh, I like this. Just felt very in tune with my body. I felt strong. That could be from other factors, such as that I'd been doing yoga a lot lately (laughs) and getting stronger. Nah, I'm sure it's the weed. (laughs) It's the weeds making me stronger. You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) Well, Phoebe here, an exciting news. I cleaned my bedroom today and I found this joint under my bed. (laughs) Oh my God. So so it's a mystery joint then? It's a mystery joint, which isn't all that different than most of the joints I smoke because they're just given to me by my wonderful boyfriend. But it's a mystery and could have been there for a week, could have been there for longer. (laughs) (laughs) It's in pristine condition. I cleaned my room off, but it was under the bed, so it wouldn't have been stepped on. So I'm going to light that up and see on the other side. (laughs) Well, I had a delightful journey to my local dispensary and had a new bud tender. And I I do my normal spiel of like, you know, what are you looking for today? And I'm like, oh, I want flour. And these are the brands I typically like. These are what I try to avoid. Want to focus on this or this, whatever I'm feeling. And my bud tender, I mentioned Falcana and Ravengrass and some other things. And they were like, oh, my gosh, you're taste is impeccable. And I'm like, Wally, thank you. And <laughs> the Falcana had released a spush, a couple of special new strains. And so I bought the blackberry cherry. And mm-hmm. that is what Ooh. I've been. That's what I'm smoking. Yeah, the blackberry Say cherry. Say that five times fast. <laughs> and it's excellent. It's really kind of a dreamy indica where you just kind of just once you take a hit, you just kind of sink. But you're not incapacitated or anything you just kind of have this like relaxed floating feeling over you and i'm enjoying it hell yeah beautiful yeah and i am smoking the super silver lemon haze from bondi farms bondi has been 
pretty reasonable recently. And we got a quarter for not that much. So yeah, been smoking that. It's a sativa, but it's pretty mellow. You know me. Mellow Grace. <laughs> they call her Mellow Grace. <laughs> yeah, I need as much mellow as I can get, right? <laughs> but yeah, that's what I'm smoking. Well, this joint is getting me nice and high and I'm ready to think about stuff. Well, good, because this high thought today is all about our thoughts on smoking. So this high thought was sent to us via Instagram by Amanda. Here we go. Hi, friends. And they spelled it H-I-G-H. I love that. Yeah. Hope all is good. I'm going to keep submitting my stoner thoughts until one day Stephanie features me. <laughs> Today's, the Today's the day. Hi, Stephanie. Hope you're happy and well. I am. Thank you. So this isn't a traditional stoner thought in that it's a thought while stoned, but a stoner thought in that it affects only stoner. Okay. Oh, okay. Why do we clear bongs and bowls and such? Like, why do we unplug the carb? Why do we pull a bong bowl out to clear it, especially if we're taking it all to the head? If I'm not sharing, what is the point of clearing? This is a legitimate question. Also, does anyone else who regularly smokes alone not clear like me? I'm just trying to figure out if there's any advantage or disadvantage to clearing. Yeah, I think that for me, the main thing is just not wanting to breathe in the stale smoke. And I don't know any scientific what not to back it up. But I guess when I was learning how to smoke, people told me that leaving the smoke in there, it gets weird and then it's not good for you to breathe it in. But I don't know. What did you mm. what do you guys think or what are your practices? As a full time bong smoker here. <laughs> yeah, Phoebe, I this question when I read it, I was like, I want to know Phoebe's thoughts. I mean, I agree with Grace in in the sense that, yeah, it would just seem like, because why leave the old smoke? It's just going to probably continue to, like, make the glass dirty and it's old. That said, when I'm alone smoking out of my bong, I often do not clear it because I don't give a fuck and I'm just smoking weed and I hit as much as I want. And if I don't want it, I don't. I feel clearing became a thing that I learned like as a social norm, as the polite thing to do because I was so bad because I take huge bong reps. We all know this. Yes. So mm-hmm. often there's too much smoke. And I it was through light shaming of always handing people bongs with smoke still in it and then them taking that as rude that kind of got me in the habit. And then I feel like, yeah, sort of like a lot of things with smoking now, it's just a trained muscle where I mostly just never think about it. I always clear it. But it started out of shame. I see, for me, I never thought of it as like, maybe this, never thought of it as like a rude thing to do. Like to someone else, like hand them a bong with old smoke. I cleared it because I wanted to look like, oh, I can do it. I'm not going to leave anything behind. Like it was, <laughs> right, right. It was more like a, like a challenge to myself mm-hmm. to be like, oh, I, I, I'm the one who put this much smoke in here. I got to clear it. But for yourself in terms of like, 
whether it matters for yourself or not. I did happen to read this high thought that came in and then saw an Instagram post from this woman on that I follow on social media named Christina W. She's fruit and flower on Instagram and she makes edibles and yeah, infused and baked baking. But she posted a couple days ago and said this, I was got by the evil smoke and it took me down. I didn't know that there was a name for it or that it was a real thing, but now I know. Evil smoke is the smoke left uncleared in a bong by someone else. At the exact moment I inhaled to clear it, when you're hungry shouted, evil smoke, and I was like, why would you curse me like that? But it was a warning. This was the top two most high I've ever been, and the fastest I went from pleasantly high to slow motion vision to puke emoji in 30 minutes. So anyway, and then it says, while this photo looks like a 40-year-old woman passed out in a high stupor, this was a productive and healing moment that gave me much needed, undistracted focus and thinky time to work through my shit. That's the power of the plant. But yeah, she said that she fell asleep and slept for six hours. <laughs> <laughs> so, so she thinks that that evil smoke left behind gets you a little too high. I mean, she says it was in the end a good thing, but... Or it sounds like she had never thought anything of it before and then just the other day had this encounter with evil smoke. And so now personally, whenever mm. I think of the leftover smoke in the bong, that's going to be in the back of my head yeah. a little bit. So I felt compelled to share it. I don't necessarily think that this is... I don't know why smoke that you left for yourself, Amanda, would be evil. I don't think that that's true, but it's just a part of the thought experiment here. I got really sick once after hitting like a five foot bong or some crazy size. Sometimes I think that my memory of it makes it bigger than it was, but it was a huge <laughs> bong. And it was a night, it was a New Year's Eve where I was the designated driver. So I was totally sober. It was the last party we went to. And so I was like, cool, I'll hit this. We'll hang out for a while. And then eventually I'll go home. And I hit it and I got super sick and threw up a bunch. Now I'm thinking there was some evil smoke in there. Because with Ooh. that big of a bong, there's probably a lot left. And Phoebe, you're known for taking big bong rips. So like the fact that that one got you, evil smoke. Yeah. And kids at home, don't emulate me because I've shot my voice. I used to have a beautiful soprano singing voice and I don't anymore. And it's definitely the cigarettes, the hardcore <laughs> drugs and <laughs> the giant oh bong God. rips that I took growing up that I think destroyed that. So if you want to keep your pretty soprano voice, don't don't be me. Or if you want to be me, just <laughs> I came out of the womb talking this way. So. <laughs> I also don't know why I said hardcore drugs. Hard but anyway, hardcore. 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 <laughs> wow. So oh, cool. wow. Who was that from again? Amanda. Amanda. Thank you, Amanda. Amanda. My middle name. We love you. And if you want to send in your high thought, you can send it to stonerchickspodcast at gmail.com or DM it to us, stonerchickspodcast on Instagram. Dear Stephanie, hope you're well and happy. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Ooh, it's cozy winter time, and I love watching movies. How about y'all? Ooh, oh, yeah. yes. <laughs> okay, everybody. <laughs> Thanks for helping with the segue. <laughs> Let's just be honest. It's time for Stoner Movie Book Club.
Okay, the movie we watched and are about to talk about right now is the 2023 movie, No Hard Feelings. I've been touting it as the Jennifer Lawrence vehicle. It was directed (laughs) by Gene Stupnipsky, who co-wrote it with John Phillips. And Gene has won several Emmys for The Office. So I guess that's what he's most well known for writing. And he's newer to directing. He co-created Jury Duty. Oh, which you've talked about. I love Jury Duty. So there you go. So he's familiar to us. Uh, It came out, as I said, earlier this summer. And I did see this very shortly after it opened when I was in Boston, which I talked about going to Boston on this podcast. The last day I was there was pouring rain. And so me and a group of improvisers went to this movie. It was like sold out which I almost never have those kinds of movie theater experiences anymore. And it was a very fun movie-going experience. The entire auditorium was laughing a lot. So it was an enjoyable experience for me. And here's my little interesting thing. It is the second movie in a row I saw starring Jennifer Lawrence where her character just very casually smokes weed at the beginning, which we'll get more into later. But that's sort of what put it in my head was I was like, man, Jennifer Lawrence is just always playing stoner chicks. So we'll hear from everyone on their thoughts. But first, we'll do a quick synopsis. And this will contain spoilers. So stop listening if you don't want that. (laughs) Okay, no hard feelings. Jennifer Lawrence plays Maddie, a 32-year-old born and raised in Montauk, New York. She works as an Uber driver and she is struggling to pay the property taxes on the house she inherited after her mother died. Maddie is a crass 32-year-old lady who really hates all of the... She's working class and really hates all of the wealthy summertime Montauk owners. Is that what you would call them? The people that have summer homes and come... Summer people. Really hates the summer people. She feels, of course, are driving up the property value. So that's sort of her character's outlook is... The enemies are all of the rich people coming in. And we learn that she dates a lot of men and has a trail of broken hearts that she has left behind. Early in the film, I think in the very first scene, her car is repossessed by one of her jilted exes. So she no longer even has a way of making an income and her house is going to get repossessed. So then she sees an online ad posted by a set of rich parents looking for a woman to date their 19-year-old son for the summer before he goes off to Princeton. And in exchange, she will get a car. She discusses this with her pregnant best friend, Sarah, played by Natalie Morales, and her husband, Jim, who's played by Scott MacArthur. And after discussing it with them, she decides to answer to the ad. So she meets with the parents, who are played by Matthew Broderick and Laura Laura Benanti, two Tony winners, both of the parents. Oh, thank you, Kayla. They are some rich helicopter parents who want their son to have sex before going to college. And Matthew Project has a very creepy story he tells about the summer before he went to high school and like the lover he had. College. Yeah. Oh, what did I say? High school. High school. Oh, sorry. The summer before he went off to college and like the lover he took and his wife's clearly uncomfortable. So this is apparently what they decided they're going to do for their son. At first, they're a little unsure about her because Maddie is older than what they were looking for. They wanted a woman closer to their son's age and she's 32, but she really wants this car. So she convinces them that that is good and they hire her. 
And their rule is that their son, Percy, can't know that, of course, she was hired. So Maddie shows up at the animal shelter where Percy works. She wears a very sexy sundress. Percy is played by the absolutely incredible Andrew Barth Feldman. He is a very sheltered, very smart teen whose seemingly only social life is online video games. He is immediately overwhelmed, drawn to, and afraid of Maddie, who very aggressively hits on him. And what follows are several attempts by Maddie to get Percy to have sex so she can get the car before she loses her house. The first attempts go very poorly. She offers him a ride home in one scene and he and she has like a creepy van that she's like borrowed, I think, from her friend. And he decides that she's trying to kidnap him and sprays her in the face with pepper spray and then has to spray her in the face with a hose because her eyes are burning. Then in another scene, she pretty much bullies him into going skinny dipping. And while they're skinny dipping, some drunk people steal their clothes off of the beach. And Maddie chases down these people completely naked and beats them up, which of course makes Percy even more terrified of her. But as in movies like this, we know that they end up starting to like each other after a wild car chase where Maddie basically almost kills both of them. They start to, they kind of bond over their traumatic experience, I guess, and they get to know each other. We learn that Percy was horribly bullied and had to transfer schools, and that's why he, a lot of the reason he's so afraid of social situations. We find out that she's lived here her whole life, was raised by a single mom, and her dad was a rich summer guy who was never really in her life. So yes, once their friendship starts to grow, they start to get to know each other. They help each other start growing. Uh, while Maddie is, of course, still actively trying to, she's still actively lying to him and while less aggressively, still trying to have sex with him. So then Maddie helps Percy get over some of his fears. For example, he f performs music, which he's always been a musician, but never performed in, in front of anyone. And he starts helping her break down her walls, realize she's kind of a shitty person. Maybe she shouldn't be such a shitty person. And then, of course, Percy discovers the lie that his parents and Maddie are acting out. And then they have a very awkward sexual encounter right after he finds out in which, before they are able to have intercourse, he ejaculates all over her legs. <laughs> and then... In the end, Percy does forgive Maddie. He forgives his parents, but he begins to set boundaries for himself. Maddie ends up selling her house to her best friend, Sarah, who was going to have to move because of housing prices. So she sells it to her and decides to move out of this town and sort of find a new chapter in her life. And the movie ends with the two of them driving off together. She's giving him a ride to Princeton. That is my quickish synopsis of No Hard Feelings. Yeah, thank you. You're welcome. So yes, let's see what were Stoner Chick's thoughts on this movie. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I struggled with this synopsis or the movie itself. <laughs> mm -hmm. For me, felt like, I don't know what the, I'm trying to figure out my best words to describe it, but it was, it felt like the, the character played by the 19-year-old. Percy? Percy. He had set his boundaries from the beginning of the film. And another person, well, a lot of people, his parents and, and Maddie included, repeatedly disrespected his boundaries throughout the movie in this, like, supposed to be kind of funny way. 
And I got it was an icky feeling for me. And he eventually, I guess, learns to speak his boundaries, but he'd been speaking his boundaries this whole time. And like, I don't it was confusing for me. It felt like, oh, this boy is broken and he needs to be fixed. And it felt like he actually was a pretty put together person. That's just kind of how he dealt with the experiences he had. And but I there are parts of the movie that I did like her five minute naked beach fight made me laugh. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I struggled with kind of the premise of this movie and it was supposed to be kind of this fun, like kind of sex comedy. And for me, it just felt kind of icky. And I'm wondering if that was the point. Yeah, I would say successful or not. Maybe I can't say with such clarity. But yeah, I think everything you said is true. I would argue that it's Maddie's character who's broken and that the movie is about her needing to learn those lessons. And I'd say that the movie, it's it's being made with knowing that like that concept, what the parents and her are doing is wrong and bad. It is a comedy. I think it's it's an icky, it's an ick comedy. It's a like, it's like a shocking kind of comedy. So it is sort of on the basis of you laughing at something that's uncomfortable. Yeah. So I don't think you're, I agree with everything you're saying, except I think that like your view on it, I kind of think is the view of the movie. Yeah. And that's what I'm trying to like, I just don't know if that's for me. Exactly. There's like, there's a lot of really great elements of this movie, but like it is overtly dealing with themes of coercion and manipulation when it comes to sex and a very young person. So it's like, it feels bad a lot of the time. And also I think that there, I've been thinking about it a lot since I watched it. I think that there's some really interesting themes that it dealt with, but I struggled. Kayla and I were texting while we we watched it. We synced up and I was struggling the whole time. Like, what is the tone of this? Like, what am I supposed to be feeling in reaction to this movie? So, yeah, that's sort of my overall feeling about Mm -hmm. it. It helped me to know that it's the director of jury duty and the the part creator of Mm -hmm. jury duty, because I feel like that whole project is very provocative in terms of like including actors and an audience in a kind of grand manipulation of this person to this guy thinking that he lives in a world that he doesn't. It's kind of this huge gaslight. So I thought that this is an interesting film as a precursor to jury duty almost and companion. But yeah, that's my initial view. Kayla here. Things I like. I liked that the movie took place on the Long Island Sound. Growing up in Connecticut, I whenever I went to the beach all through high school and college was at in the Long Island Sound. And from like the first shot, I was like, this is the Northeast. This is either Long Island Sound or Rhode Island or somewhere adjacent. And that, that always brings me good nostalgia feelings. I was screaming when Kyle Mooney came on the screen as Percy's nanny, Jody. Like they'd been talking about Percy's nanny, Jody, and it's Kyle Mooney. And I was like, oh my fucking God. Like there were some casting choices that made me guffaw. And that was one of them. Favorite, I would say like 
the the meat of the movie, like the second act of the movie, I found very funny. And I think the performances and the writing and the directing all played a part in that. My favorite joke was when she's like, oh, you like drinking now? He just starts drinking. He's upset. He's found out the truth. And he's like, yeah, I love Vermouth. And he like looks at the bottle and says he loves Vermouth. But yeah, the conceit of this is very icky in that like she is engaging in a form of sex work hired by a person's parents and he's not aware of it, making it very unethical and a very unethical kind of sex work. But all of the things that they wanted for him, like they wanted him to come out of his shell. They wanted him to experience like having feelings for a woman in person. And he, he got all those things. I don't know that he was necessarily better off in the end because he was really hurt. But the actor, Andrew Barth Feldman, I was obsessed with his performance. Like I halfway through the movie, I was just like, who is this young man out acting Academy Award winner Jennifer Lawrence right (laughs) now? And when I looked him up, I discovered that he in 2019 played the lead in Dear Evan Hansen. Um, taking over for, I believe, the the man who originated the role. And I was like, fuck yeah, this makes sense. I think so highly of theater actors. Mm-hmm. There were two Tony Award winners playing the parents and they cast this kid in his first ever on-screen role ever. And he fucking killed it. I was imp- so impressed. The scene where he did the piano number, he's at a restaurant, sings a man-eater. Mm-hmm. Like a cover of Maneater on the piano. It's the best scene in the movie. I loved it so much that I for- I was high and forgot me and Grace were synced up and I rewound it and watched it again. The acting during that song is like, is award worthy. Like I was fucking going crazy. And so if you don't want to watch this movie, YouTube Andrew Barth Feldman Maneater and you'll see what I mean. The way he portrays like, of someone experiencing a lot of insecurity, putting themselves out there while singing a song in public was gold. It was really good. It was my favorite part of the movie. And like him as an actor, like saved this movie for me. Yeah, it saved it for me too. On that note, we're going to take a smoke break right now and maybe hear some of that song. She's deadly man. And that was a lovely smoke break we all had. We're here talking about 2023's No Hard Feelings, the title a lot of us have had a hard time remembering. And we heard some thoughts from Kayla on what she liked. Grace, you got something to say. I really liked 
there's a party scene where they go to like a frap. No, it was a Princeton. Oh, a Princeton mixer. mixer. <laughs> yeah. And it's all these square kind of young people, but they're all Gen Z and like calling Jennifer Lawrence out for being old. Filming her when she's misbehaving. Yeah. And then Percy accidentally throat punches her (laughs) and she starts like stumbling around and like (laughs) tears down shelves and is like crashing around. So that's just like, you know me, I love a good like injury moment um, (laughs) when the protagonist really fucks up. (laughs) And then I also really enjoyed the dinner scene with the parents when Percy finally manipulates them to all be there and then starts saying really uncomfortable things in front of all of them. Mm -hmm. Sort of the prestige that he knows about the whole plan or whatever. Yeah, so those are the things that I like the most. I think, I don't know if I can totally get past the non-consensual vibes throughout, even though I know that it was purposeful device of the film to make us think about it. And then kind of loved, kind of hated. At one point, she's hooking up with a douchebag. And he puts the she, finger trap on his penis. He puts the <laughs> finger trap on his penis. And then she starts panicking and pulling it. And it's like yanking his <laughs> dick. And it's kind of the worst thing and kind of the best thing. So, yeah, those are the things that I liked and didn't like. Cool. Thank you, Grace. I did not like the vomiting scene. I think the movie would have been just fine without it. Oh, yeah. yeah, I know, Kayla. Oh, see, I really like the vomiting scene. And it's when she's shoving her finger down his throat, right? Yeah. 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 I mean, I didn't find it too graphic of a vomit scene, but I hear you. I did. Well, you, I mean, <laughs> it's your horrible. number one phobia, so that makes <laughs> sense. It's just funny because she thinks he's taken something. Because the girl he's with is like, he took some pill and now he doesn't feel good and he's just drunk. And so she like forces him to puke and it turns out he's just taken an ibuprofen. <laughs> I thought that was funny. <laughs> yeah. Because the joke is I kind didn't of even like, catch that because I had my eyes and yes, ears shut. That's the whole thing. And she's like, oh my God, he's taking something. He's ODing. And then he's just like had one drink and took an ibuprofen. But he's never <laughs> drank anything. So he's a little sensitive child. I think I also just don't like the implication that someone who's 19 should have sex. Like if someone doesn't want to have sex, then they shouldn't have sex. And that's the last thing I'll say. Well, that was kind of my biggest issue with the film. It seemed like he was perfectly fine existing before like his parents decided to shove this ideal on him. But the thing I think the movie kind of got right is that he was able to he's always was putting up his boundaries but he was able to maybe vocalize them better i don't know if better is the right word but he was able to stand up and go this is what i want and it and also he kept saying throughout the movie i he's not about sex he likes to have feelings a relationship like get to know you that was kind of his whole thing yeah, he expresses like a demisexual vibe, but he puts that forward. Like, I need to have a connection with someone before I have any desire to. And the only time I think that they kiss is after she has told him something really personally vulnerable for her. Like when they have their first vulnerable moment, he asks her to kiss him and she does. And like, yeah, I agree. Nobody should be especially by their parents it's none of their parents fucking business like made out to be 
anything negative for not having sex before you go to college. Like he would have been just fine. He would have gone to Princeton. He would have eventually met a sweet girl and like had sex with her. Yeah. He would have been totally fine. Some musical nerd would have heard, overheard him playing piano in the lobby of the dorm. Right, which is kind of what happens. I think what's, yeah, it's so funny. He's like, I hear all of you. It's like, I, first of all, before I went to this movie, I had been reading a lot because before the movie came out, there was a lot of articles written uh, saying it was very problematic and it was normalizing grooming was sort of the vibe some people took. So I went into it kind of like, ooh, I've heard all these things. So I maybe was a bit prepared. And then I'll be honest, I was pretty like, oh, I found it. I'll I'll be honest, I found it pretty tame. I think for me, it's I don't necessarily think the movie was totally successful. So I'm not on some big, I think there's a lot Mm -hmm. of things that didn't land. But I think it's it's a shock comedy. It's like ick factor comedy. It's supposed to make you cringe. And I think it's sort of made by the generation. It's sort of about the clashing of two generations of sort of the the young people where comp, there's sort of a lot more talk about consent now, which is great. And Jennifer Lawrence's character is very much from like there's a whole scene that's her and her girlfriend kind of joking about all of the times they've had sex where they really didn't want to because like, haha, one time is so I wouldn't get killed or, you know, haha, one time it was just because I needed a ride home. And I don't, it's like, a. I will say for me, and I just is kind of neither here nor there, but it's maybe why I found it sort of an interesting movie. Like I went to high school in the 90s. I was out drinking in the early aughts and I would say like I had sort of that same attitude when I look back at a lot of the situations I was in like I wouldn't ever want that for anyone and I definitely didn't I don't think it's like good but it also was very normal for me and so like I guess I don't see necessary I think the movie everything you guys are saying successful or not I think the movie is saying I think it's saying there's nothing wrong with Percy outside of because he's been so hurt by people he's been very sheltered and the one thing he gets from Jennifer Lawrence is kind of coming out of his shell He stops being so afraid of the world. He finally performs in front of people. He realizes he's a great person. But I think that his parents are the bad guys and she's the bad guy. And it's about her having to learn and her actually being the immature one. And they don't have sex. And in the end, it's very friendship vibes. Like they're no longer trying to date. It's just like they're buds now. was one line that I did feel was like excusing grooming a little bit. And it was... From Hassan Minaj's character, which I was very delighted to see Hassan Minaj. And I thought he was well cast as this like hometown realtor guy. It was delightful to see him. But his whole character's purpose was to talk about how older teachers have women teachers have married their younger students. And which I would consider a form of grooming if an adult woman ends up marrying someone she met as a teenager. Yeah. And Hassan's character says something like, and like, we got married and no one writes about that in the news. Like, as though if they get married, it's okay. Like, that I felt was the writers explicitly trying to make some weird comment about how that's not grooming. Well, no, I think that they're saying that, like, that character's perspective is still problematic. That yeah. that is that it is okay. still problematic, even if they do get married, it's still not cool. Well, because it's and after a certain point, too, it's not only about age, it's about power differentials. I mean, 
whether or not these two ended up, people ended up having feelings for each other or not, the entire relationship was entered under the pretense of coercion, manipulation, and deception. Truly. But I would argue ultimately by his parents, whereas I don't, I'm not, I mean, she is 32, she's much older, but she is coming at it from she's terrified to lose. It's it, Because the movie is a lighthearted comedy, I don't think it's getting as, in, as into this stuff as maybe the subject requires to be done well. But like she is coming from, she's, she just needs that car to survive is her outlook. And he is this incredibly rich kid that she has always seen as his people as the enemy. Yeah. And I think of it as they kind of make a joke about it. But I do. And Kayla and I talked about this a little bit, that it is what she's doing is a form of sex work in exchange for Mm -hmm. some material gain. She is agreeing to have sex with this person. So I don't know. And then I also do think like I would argue that they do have sex. He sees it that way. And if he feels that he had sex, which I would argue that he did. That's true. I did sort of forget about that scene when I said that. And yeah, I mean, he does. He's aware of the situation when that happens. They kind of skirt around it because it's not penetrative. But anyone who's queer knows that that has nothing to do with what makes something sex. So anyway, but yeah, it yeah, it was an interesting movie. It has made me think a lot. I think that's where I'm. I I will very much. I don't necessarily think it's successful at all of the things. And I think maybe just because when thinking about sort of this conversation, it's funny. Like you, it makes me think about this stuff a lot because even that conversation is such a generational difference. Like that type of conversation was not happening 15 years ago. So I don't know, maybe I just weirdly something in it. I don't know if relate is the right word. And I don't always, but it made me think a lot about just like, wow, how things were when I grew up and the type of things that I used to laugh at and totally was okay. And how much that's changed in the larger conversation. There were moments I found later in the film, I think like Kayla said, where you could see kind of the friendship of the two main characters. and. I enjoyed those moments of that. But yeah, I can, we can, but, oh, I do want to maybe segue into weed betrayals mm-hmm. in the movie because those were some other scenes I really liked is it was just so casual. The first scene you see is it's her lawyer, I think, and her friends, uh, her pregnant friend and her husband and her, and they're smoking, well, the pregnant friend isn't, but uh, they're smoking as he, her, her, the husband is surfing and they're kind of talking about her dilemma. And it's just so casual. It's not even mentioned that they're smoking weed. It's just like, oh, this is this we're doing. It's what we do to relax and chill out and bond together. Mm-hmm. And then later, it's just, I think it's in a montage. They just show her randomly smoking a joint again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A moment of reflection on the beach always. Yeah. When she's always smoking on the beach. That's where you smoke. It's on the beach, on a rock. It makes me assume that Jennifer Lawrence is a stoner based purely on the fact that I watched two movies back to back where her character (laughs) casually smokes weed, but it's not like a bigger plot point. And so it just makes me like, oh, she's just a stoner, which is who knows if that's true. (laughs) We can all dream. (laughs) Okay, bong rating time. What do we give it? How many bong reps? Stephanie here. 2.6 for me. Great. I'm going to give a three. 
a three bong rating and remind you to just look up Andrew Barth Feldman Man Eater on YouTube. Then look up Andrew Barth Feldman Rocket Man on YouTube. Ooh. There's a video of him doing an amazing cover of Rocket Man. Love that song. Yeah. For me, I think yesterday I was almost feeling like I had wasted an hour and 45 minutes of my time watching this movie. But now talking about it more and thinking about it more, it's an interesting film and it did make me think. And I'll give it three as well. Love it. And Phoebe here, I weirdly, I feel like I even talked myself up a little. I was probably closer to a three. I'm going to go 3.5 because I agree it's interesting. And they were all said, but I had a lot of favorite moments. I think the physical comedy of Jennifer Lawrence and the musical performance in it are top. So I didn't think I'd go that high. I'm going 3.5. Her walking up the stairs in the rollerblades. <laughs> yes, yes. <Why>? Awkwardly. <laughs> it's so ridiculous while being watched. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you, everyone. And that brings us to another conclusion of a great episode. Oh, it was so good. I'm going to miss you guys. Oh, I'm going to miss this episode. <laughs> well, good night. Okay. Goodbye. Good night. Good night. Bye. We're going to wrap gonna, up. Bye. We're bye. leaving. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. Oh, wait. <laughs> wait. One fucking minute. <laughs> I have something to say. What, Kayla? You? It's yes. Uh, yes. Uh, Stephanie, me. It's time for a 60 second bong box. 60 second bong box. 60 second bong box. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to hit my bong, start my timer, and rant for 60 seconds. I haven't done one of these because I was scared, but... I'm so excited to hear what you're going to rant about. Oh, it's not fun. Okay, are you ready? I'm going to start my timer. The topic is allergic contact dermatitis as you all three know i have allergic contact dermatitis was which is a form of eczema where your skin is having allergic reactions to things that it touches and what's so fucking frustrating about this disease is and all autoimmune diseases is how mysterious and how like hard it is to tell like what is causing what and what the real root cause of this is and what the fuck is happening but like With allergic contact dermatitis, something you're allergic to touches your skin and a rash forms between zero and 72 hours. So you might not get a rash from touching something you're allergic to for 72 hours, making it very hard to pinpoint what it was that you touch. And then that rash will come and go for six, up to six to eight weeks. You're dealing with that rash. And then if you have a high volume of exposure, it can last for up to six months. It can take six months to heal a fucking rash because you touched a fucking metal this or a chemical that. And and my timer is going off. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that was... The worst part about it is that your body will continue to develop allergies to things as you get older and as you're exposed to more shit. And it's so annoying. (laughs) That's my 60-second bong box. I sympathize so hard. You guys remember my pillowcase debacle that I've been dealing Mm -hmm. with for the last eight months. But the the Claritin 
or not the Claritin, but the allergy cases that you recommended, Kayla, helped me. So thank you. Good. Good. Something of my journey has been useful. (laughs) Do you want to shout out the allergy cases? (laughs) I think it's allergies. Yeah, I think that's Uh, what I Pillowcase. Yeah. Wow. Nice. I'm so sorry, Kayla. Fuck contact dermatitis. Man, now I'm all riled up. I could do another minute. <laughs> I learned 120 second bomb. <laughs> 120 second bomb and I'm not going to go into what I was going to say, but autoimmune diseases suck. I Yeah, they suck so bad. So shout out to all our stoners out there dealing with autoimmune conditions. They are so fucking stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, We thank you so much for sharing this space with us. Thank you for sharing, Kayla. And thanks for listening, stoners. Please remember to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we will read it on the podcast. And if you want to check out even more content from us, you can go to patreon.com slash stonerchicks, where for not very much money, $3, $6, or $20 levels, we have different content, but you can get extra bonus episodes. We put our smoke break videos up. There's a Zoom smoke sesh with us every month and lots of other merch and fun perks. So we're having fun over there. And it really helps us keep going. Patreon.com slash stoner chicks. And with that, Phoebe, what do stoner chicks always say? I left some evil smoke in the bong. No hard feelings. <laughs> that evil smoke. <laughs> Was it evil? Smoke your weed. Smoke weed. We love you. Stoner Chicks podcast is hosted by me, Grace Penzel, Stephanie Thompson, Kayla Teal, and Phoebe Richards. The show is edited by German at Your Podcast Editor, and the theme music is composed by Jessica Damari. Email us your high thoughts at stonerchickspodcast at gmail.com or send us snail mail at P.O. Box 80586, Seattle, Washington 98108. Please follow us on social media at Stoner Chicks Podcast on Instagram.